0: So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat, and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. I am talking about something a little controversial today and I know this is going to get some of your heckles up, but I actually want to talk about why, in my opinion, traditional real estate investing is in fact riskier than alternative investing. Now, there's lots of Caveats on that, a lot of asterisks, but the big thing that I want to kind of point out today are the principles for why a good alternative investment is going to be less risky than a good traditional property. And I'll explain why. And then I'm going to tell you what you need to know in terms of distinguishing between the two, in terms of when is the right time for you to be looking at either. Let me start with this. I guess, explanation that alternative investing is a very broad concept. And what I'm talking about today is alternative investments that fit into the five buckets of strategies that I talk about that are deals backed by real property. Now, I've got a a bunch of episodes that go into those five buckets. They include private funds, syndications, joint ventures, lending opportunities where you are the bank, and then obviously direct property. But I guess what I want to kind of really maybe go a little deeper on today is, you know, why do I actually disagree passionately when people say that, you know, alternative investing, because it has these high returns, that they must be high risk. And in fact, I think the uh, exact opposite is true. First of all, talk about traditional property. Now, I want to say hands down, I love traditional property. It's certainly how I've made a lot of my own personal wealth. Um, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't invested in traditional property. This is certainly not a dig at traditional property as a strategy. What I'm really doing is just articulating the contrast from a risk profile between traditional and alternative. So let me just, uh, before anyone gets uh, really upset, let me just start there. If I think about the pros of traditional investing and why I've had a long and passionate love affair with real estate investing. Number one, I love that it lacks the volatility that certainly things like the share market and crypto and other, you know, asset classes have. Uh, It is phenomenal for building capital, for building, you know, net worth. You can take a small amount of money, go to a bank, get a loan and leverage your way into controlling a large asset. And, you know, when that asset then creeps up in value every year, your internal rate of return on your original investment is, is really staggering. So there's no argument for me that from a I I guess, wealth building perspective, um, traditional real estate is hands down one of the most powerful uh, asset classes and significantly more um, lucrative on average than something like shares or managed funds. You know, if I think, Historically as well, over the last 50 years, the average multimillionaire today um, has definitely um, been able to attribute a large part of their success to the fact that they um, have invested in real estate. And there's also a lot of people who say they've accidentally become multimillionaires on the basis that they held property over a period of time. What we're seeing now obviously is prices are starting to become really sky high and it's making it harder for the younger generation to access real estate as an asset class in the same way that maybe people who are baby boomers and you know some of your, your Gen X's might have done. Obviously awesome for tax benefits. So, you know, if you're an investor of any variety, there's going to be tax benefits, but there's particularly good ones such as depreciation and other write-offs, which make traditional real estate very, very attractive, particularly if you're a high income earner. And I guess the other major pro around traditional property is that it's an amazing hedge against inflation. No question, some amazing benefits to traditional real estate, but you know, and I'm probably not even covering all of them, but I want to really kind of highlight um, the cons and why ultimately I do feel that traditional real estate is riskier than some of the alternative investments that I undertake. So number one, uh, traditionally property is terrible for cash flow. you got to wait a really long time. You've got to take a 20 to 30-year view on timeline to squeeze out enough juice from a traditional residential property. Now, commercial property, a lot of you will say, oh, but commercial property is better. It can be better, but it comes with its own bag of snakes. And, you know, with the way that the market is evolving, the income streams from even commercial property are getting more and more squeezed. And that's because as prices rise, you know, wages and income are just not keeping pace. So the The relative amount of income that you can pay uh, as rental on those properties hasn't kept pace. And so we're in this situation where, you know, we're hanging on to assets that potentially aren't going to even be in the black as far as cash flow for several years and then another decade to 20 years on top of that before it's developing meaningful income that you can actually live off. So there are a lot of investors who experience this idea of building a great capital portfolio, and then either having to sell down the capital to kind of fund lifestyle, eat the cow, as, as you've heard me call it many times, or they kind of have to, you know, reduce or, you know, bring down the cost of their day to day living so that they can live off whatever cash flow those assets generate. So definitely cash flows are big. Problem with traditional real estate investing. The cost of entry and exit is incredibly high, uh, particularly in the country that I live in, which is Australia. The um, stamp duties, taxes, and other costs of entry, including bank fees and things like that, can really take what might otherwise be a great deal and make it really hard. And so, what we see in Australia is there's a generally accepted wisdom that you buy and you never sell. And I think smarter investors are starting to see that not only is the wisdom in that methodology, you know, not quite right, but it's, it's also, you know, it, it certainly begs the question of if the idea is that you have to hold these assets for a long time, it means that you you can't really put a foot wrong. You can't afford to hold a lemon in your portfolio. Other things are, you know, there's a lot of people who've been really turned off real estate investing because they, they just really hate this whole idea of tenants and toilets. Maybe purchased an asset that was an older property, had high maintenance costs, or, you know, maybe they just got unlucky. I, I can tell you countless stories of people I know who, you know, basically had one, maybe two bad experiences very early on in their investing journey and then just wash their hands and just said, no, you know, investing's not for me. I'm just going to focus on paying off my house as my primary investment vehicle and worry about, you know, you know, other investments later. That is definitely something that sours people around traditional investing. Then you've got this whole raft of problems that comes from having to deal with the banks. You know, there's not many people or any people who think it makes sense to plonk down a huge lump of cash and buy a house outright buy a realist piece of real estate outright apart from the you know the opportunity cost of doing that being enormously high it just financially it just doesn't necessarily make sense. not many people have such high volumes of money sitting around doing nothing so you've got to deal with the banks and the problem with dealing the banks is. They're getting more and more conservative as we move into these really uncertain economic times about, you know, lending money. So they're, you know, their lending calculators change, their criteria change, focus on your income changes, focus on how much you spend on your gym memberships. You know, they want to know everything now. So what that ultimately means is that they're really clipping your wings. And telling you in a nutshell for your income and who you are in your lifestyle, you can only buy this many properties, which means that the modern day investor investing today is really hard in contrast to 20 years ago when it was more about the asset and less about how much you earned. And ultimately what that means is that your ability to buy more property is limited. But you know, indirectly what that means is your capacity to diversify is also hampered. You know, you can't necessarily say, well, because I have a property in Sydney, I'll go and buy one in in another state and therefore I'm diversified, which is about what a lot of investors have said to me over the years is that as long as I buy properties in different states that now I'm I'm diversifying but really they're not really diversifying And, and it's becoming more and more challenging as the cost of real estate just skyrockets. So that lack of diversification, that, you know, limit, on what the banks are prepared to lend you is, is becoming very problematic for people. But I think the the ultimate, and this is really the, the punchline, I guess, the ultimate reason why I see uh, traditional real estate investing as much riskier than alternative is because you have to rely on a rising market. Now, if you are relying on a rising market to make money, you can't rely on the cash flow, so you've got to rely on the capital, what you are really doing is you are speculating that the markets will continue to keep going north. Now, if the markets go sideways, if the markets go down, effectively, traditional real estate investors lose. You know, I, I understand the rationale that the markets have always gone north. So, you know, there's good reason to believe that they will continue to do that. And maybe that will be true. But I guess the point I'm trying to make here is there is an element that whether you think it's big or small, there's a risk element around relying on that constant upward market in order to make money. Now, let me switch now to how I view this in contrast to the alternative investment deals that I do. First of all, on the on the plus side, the cost of entry or exit is nominal, if not close to zero. Um, I mean, obviously, you've got some administrative costs. But often in the alternative space, you're not having to wear these things like stamp duty. And, and particularly in markets like the States, part of the reason that that market has evolved into this very entrepreneurial, creative space where you can do a lot of deals and you can make something out of nothing is because the way that they transact real estate is very creative and it's very varied. And it's, um, you know, they don't have these crazy stamp duties. Like the government don't necessarily look at the transacting of real estate as their only source of income. You know, the cost of entry and exit is is relatively low, which means that you can be much more nimble. Volatility around cash flow is very, very low. So when I first started investing in alternatives, particularly in the US back in 2009, um, what I saw was the price of real estate dropped like a stone. Um, you were able to buy, you know, good property at, you know, thirty forty cents in the dollar. There was a lot of suffering around that. Like a lot of people lost their homes, which was terrible. But but the thing that kind of boggled me at the time was this idea that rents never did anything. They didn't drop. You know, they in, in some markets where rental demand rose because people had lost their homes, rents may may have risen slightly, but. You know, I, I, in in all of my life, I've been through many life, many cycles, many you know ups and downs, many recessions. But I have never seen anything like what happened during the global financial crisis. Like certainly, if you contrast that to what has happened during COVID, the the backlash has been at this point relatively minor. That's not to say it won't change, but you know what I saw was there was very very low volatility of cash flow, and what I continue to witness is. No matter what tremors there are economically, particularly when you're focused on, you know, the middle of the road affordable housing, the, you know, the volatility around cash flow is very low. You know, if you think about what's happened during COVID, you know, people who lived in maybe smaller, less desirable units and houses stepped up into a better quality of house because they wanted to live somewhere better while they were in lockdown. And those that kind of may have over been living beyond their means stepped down because they wanted something more affordable in a place that they still wanted to live. So that middle tier of housing, the median sort of area of the market has done really, really well as compared with, you know, low uh, socioeconomic housing and, and you know, super blue chip, that middle sector of the market. So if we're focused in that area, then, you know, there's, there's really good solid, predictable cash flow that you can still continue to earn. Alternative investing is a strategy or or an asset class, which allows you to catapult your cash flow. So if you're someone who has historically invested only in traditional property, and now you want to diversify into um, alternative, it's a way to seriously 5X, 10X your cash flow um, pretty much from day one. So I work with Clients who, you know, want to take small bites of the cherry and do it very gradually, and typically they can, you know, hit a fairly significant uh, six-figure passive income in, in a period of 12 months to five years, depending on how fast or how slow and how much capital they're prepared to invest. But you catapult that cash flow as opposed to traditional property where you are often waiting 20 to 35 years to produce meaningful income. Still has great tax benefits. Allows for true diversification. Now I say this all the time: small bites of the cherry. If you can take the same amount of capital and instead of sticking in it in one asset, you could carve it up and put it into fifteen different investment opportunities. What that does is it gives you true diversification. You can you can invest with different deal makers, different strategies, different liquidity points, different you know struck deal structures um so that you end up with this and obviously different geographies different you, you create this really strong blanket of opportunities that are spread and give you stability in ways that having you know anywhere from 1 to up to about 5 investment properties can never give you because you've really got your money tied up in a very small number of assets that may or may not be geographically spread that may or may not have the same vulnerabilities to economic ups and downs so crude diversification is something that i love about alternative if i can take 20 grand or 50 grand and put it in one deal and then take another lump and put it somewhere else and you know keep spreading the love it puts me in a much much stronger position and then you know we've got that hedge against inflation there are certainly uh you know deals in the alternative which give you that hedge against inflation meaning as inflation goes up, rents go up, and, and equity goes up, and, and you get dragged up with it. Are there deals which you don't get that? Then yeah, you know absolutely, like lending deals where you are the bank. You know, if the market suddenly skyrockets in terms of inflation, and you're still collecting at a certain rate of um, interest on a on a loan that you've made, then yeah, that's not necessarily a hedge against inflation, which is where. You know, having a good plan and being clear about what you want is super, super important. What I love most of all about alternative investing is that it is super passive, like it is legitimately one of the most passive forms of investing. I'm not finding the deals. I'm not managing the deals. I'm not dealing with tenants and toilets. I just sit there with the highest level of control. I have ownership or part ownership if I'm investing alongside other investors and I don't have to do anything other than watch the money just drip into my bank account. So obviously, not dealing with tenants and toilets is a huge one. And then the final piece, which is really, again, the nutshell of why I love alternative is you do not require a rising market. So you're, you're essentially avoiding the need for speculation and if you think of speculation as one of the metrics of measuring risk, how much speculation are you taking? What you are doing when you move into um, the sort of alternative investments that I'm talking about is you are you are buying predominantly for cash flow. Yeah, there are capital deals, but you're buying cash flow. You're buying cash flow often from day one. You are in, as I talked about a minute ago, a sector of the market which has little volatility around you know changing rents i'm very much trying to avoid ground up construction because again there's risk around price of materials and labor and things like that but there are i've i'm someone who has been extremely experimental in my investing career i've tried it all like i really feel like if someone tells me that there's something to be tried i've really seen myself more as an artist in wealth building than you know, someone who's taken a science-based approach. I just wanna, I want to learn. I want to kind of explore. And I can tell you, hands down, I haven't come across any other asset classes that allow you to build an income stream passively that you can depend on. Like, and I say that with hand on my heart. Like, and I've witnessed hundreds of people having the same experience, and it's it's really. It's really mind-boggling that when you understand and you have the wisdom, then you can start to really discern this whole idea that, yeah, God, this whole idea that we've been sold that alternative investing is riskier than traditional real estate is actually a complete and utter myth. So obviously there are cons. I should kind of round out by saying, well, what are the cons of alternative investing? Number one, this is probably the big one, there is not a lot of information out there on them. Um, It's really easy to get lost in people trying to sell you sexy deals. And I guess that leads me to my other point, which is that to do well with alternative investing, you need a high level of trust. With the deal makers, you need to know, like, and trust um, because you are letting go of day-to-day control over how the asset or assets are managed. And the problem with that is that, particularly in markets where there's you know good opportunity to make money, um, there's no barrier to entry. You can make money from nothing, particularly in the United States. Um, and of course, what happens is it attracts sharks and it attracts wannabe, you know, newbie wealth gurus. So the two problems that I see with that is that you know, it's really easy to get suckered in on good marketing and and invest with the wrong people, trust the wrong people. The other part of it is that you know, you can have someone who's a really good person who makes great, you know, great sense of deals, can see the deal, but then through lack of experience or mismanagement screws up the deal. Happens all the time. I guess this is the biggest con is that you need a high level of trust, and, and part of the reason that people work with me is they they want to kind of um, I guess inherit some of the trust that I've built with my trusted advisor network over a long period of time. So, just make no mistake though, there's there's plenty of dodgy people out there. There's plenty of well intentioned people out there who don't have the right experience. They don't have the track record so that's a that's a big one. The other one is that you need to be really mindful that some alternative investments, once you're in the deal, you can't get out until the deal is done. Um, now that's not always the case, but if you're committed to a two year or a twenty four month joint venture and that asset is being taken through some sort of project plan, it's really hard to expect that deal maker to turn around and and give you your money back if you suddenly decide you you know you need that capital. So that's definitely, I guess, a con is one way of looking at it, but also like something that you just need to be aware of. And then I guess the other thing is if you are looking at trying to build capital, uh, it's really hard to get that same level of leverage that you can achieve in traditional property because unless you're borrowing out of equity from assets you already have, you're not really leveraging, you're just putting capital in, and then relying on the deal maker to apply leverage in order to get you those returns. So if you are comparing a good deal in traditional property with a good deal in alternative, there's no question in my mind that because of the fact that in the alternative, there is less speculation, this deal works today. It is cash flowing today Yes, I might make improvements to it that will push up its value, create forced depreciation, maybe even increase the rents and the cash flow. But even if I did nothing, that deal is profitable today. And I contrast that with traditional property where I'm buying it today, maybe it's giving me a trickle of cash flow, maybe it's negatively cash flowing, but I am hoping and praying that the market continues to rise in order for me to make money and I'm weighing those up purely on attributes and trying to decide which one is riskier, there is no question that the alternative opportunity offers less risk. Now, I know I'm kind of glossing over a whole lot of things like taxes and blah, 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 you know, lots of asterisks, but that's the big takeaway. In one opportunity, I am not speculating, in the other I am. Just because... I'm arguing for alternative investing being a, you know, on the whole lower risk prospect than a a good deal in traditional real estate doesn't mean that's what you should do right now. It's really, really important that as an investor you recognise where you are on your investing journey and what your actual goals are. Like, what are your goals? Now, if you are someone who needs to build working capital, If either you're a younger investor or you're just getting started, you have to try as hard as you can to squeeze as much juice out of traditional property investing as you can. So that is absolutely where you need to start. And there's no shortage of um, people who can help you in that space. If you recognize that maybe you've kind of either hit uh, a ceiling or you actually are in a position where you are generating good income and you just want to start building that passive income stream, then alternative is definitely something that you should be looking at. You should be understanding what is it? How does it work? Does it make sense to me? Do I feel comfortable with the risks and the pros and the cons and all the rest? So for those of you who want to understand more about where you are on your wealth investing journey, I've done a lot of of this in terms of the three parts to the wealth game. Um I think episode 63 covered that in in a lot of detail, but please go back and have a look at those. If you have any questions about this stuff, please reach out to me. I love robust and uh playful debate. I'm certainly not trying to offend anyone and I I definitely recognize that that both both you know traditional and alternative have their place but I really genuinely feel that this idea that particularly people who don't uh, understand alternative is that they're saying it's risky and you shouldn't touch it is just you know completely sending you down the wrong path so guys I hope you found today helpful I know I got into the weeds a bit but look this is really important stuff and I I can't stress enough the number of people whose lives have been totally transformed by taking a small percentage of their portfolio and putting it into alternative simply because the cash flow is reliable and they can bank on it is just, you know, blowing my mind. This stuff is really, really important and um, I'm super passionate about it. So anyway, guys, I'll leave it there till next time. Take care and uh, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.